Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster. That's a quarterly that's put out by the people at Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. The topic this quarter is stumbling blocks. To speak on it, we read the words of Matthew Henry. You know the Matthew Henry commentary, and he has a lot to say about this subject, a very serious matter indeed. Matthew Henry was a Presbyterian preacher, author, commentator, born in Wales in the UK. Matthew 18.6 says, Matthew Henry says, Who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The humblest Christians are the best Christians, most like Christ and highest in his favor. They are best disposed for the communications of divine grace and fittest to serve God in this world and enjoy him in another. They are great, for God overlooks heaven and earth to look on such. Certainly those are to be most respected and honored in the church that are most humble and self-denying. For though they least seek it, they best deserve it. Whatever kindnesses are done to such, Christ takes as done to himself. Whoso entertains a meek and humble Christian, takes him into his love and friendship, society and care, and studies to do him a kindness, and does this in Christ's name for his sake, because he bears the image of Christ, serves Christ, because Christ has received him. This shall be accepted and recompensed as an acceptable piece of respect to Christ. Note the tender regard Christ has to his church extends itself to every particular member, even the meanest, the poorest. Jesus warns all people in Matthew 18.6, for they will answer it at their utmost peril, not to offer any injury to one of Christ's little ones. This word makes a wall of fire about them. He that touches them touches the apple of God's eye. Observe first the crime supposed. Offending one of these little ones that believe in Christ. Their believing in Christ, though they be little ones, unites them to him and interests him in their cause, so that as they partake of the benefit of his sufferings, he also partakes in the wrong of theirs. Even the little ones that believe have the same privileges with the great ones, for they have all obtained like precious faith. There are those that offend these little ones by drawing them to sin, grieving and vexing their righteous souls, discouraging them, taking occasion from their mildness to make a prey of them in their persons, families, goods, or good name. Thus the best men have often met with the worst treatment in this world. Secondly, the punishment of this crime. It is intimated in that word, better for him that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The sin is so heinous, so extremely wicked, and the ruin proportionably so great that he had better undergo the sorest punishments inflicted on the worst of malefactors 
which can only kill the body. Note, number one, hell is worse than the depth of the sea, for it is a bottomless pit and a burning lake. The depth of the sea is only killing, but hell is tormenting. We meet with one that had comfort in the depth of the sea. It was Jonah. But never has anyone had the least grain or glimpse of comfort in hell, nor will any have to eternity. And number two, the irresistible, irrevocable doom of the great judge will sink sooner and surer and bind faster than a millstone hanged about the neck. It fixes a great gulf that can never be broken through. Offending Christ's little ones, though by omission, is assigned as the reason of that dreadful sentence, Depart from me, ye cursed, which will at last be the doom of proud persecutors. Our Savior here speaks of offenses or scandals in general. Having mentioned the offending of little ones, he takes occasion to speak more generally to offenses. That is an offense first which occasions guilt, which by enticement or affrightment, that is uh, temptation or fear, tends to draw men from that which is good to that which is evil and two, which occasions grief, which makes the heart of the righteous sad. Now, concerning offenses, Christ here tells them first that they were certain things. It must needs be, he said, that offenses come. When we are sure there is danger, we should be the better armed. Not that Christ's word necessitates any man to offend, but it is a prediction upon a view of the causes. Considering the subtlety and malice of Satan, the weakness and depravity of men's hearts, and the foolishness that is found there, it is morally impossible but that there should be offenses. God has determined to permit them for wise and holy ends, that both they which are perfect and they which are not may be made manifest. Being told before that there will be seducers, tempters, persecutors, and many bad examples, let us stand on our guard. And number two, that they would be woeful things and the consequence of, of them fatal. Here is a double woe annexed to offenses, a woe to the careless and unguarded to whom the offense is given, woe to the world because of offenses. The obstructions and oppositions given to faith and holiness in all places are the bane and plague of mankind and the ruin of thousands. This present world is an evil world. It is so full of offenses, of sins, of snares and sorrows. It is a dangerous road we travel full of stumbling blocks, precipices, false guides. Woe to the world! As for those whom God hath chosen, called out of the world and delivered from it, they are preserved by the power of God from the prejudice of these offenses and are helped over all these stones of stumbling. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And then a woe to the wicked who willfully give the offense. 
But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh, he said. Though it must needs be that the offense will come, that will be no excuse for the offenders. Note, though God makes the sins of sinners to serve his purposes, that will not secure them from his wrath. The guilt will be laid at the door of those who give the offense, though they also fall under a woe who take it. Note, they who any way hinder the salvation of others will find their own condemnation the more intolerable, like, like Jeroboam, who did sin, and who made Israel to sin. This woe is the moral of that judicial law, that he who opened the pit and kindled the fire was accountable for all the damage that ensued. The anti-Christian generation by whom came the great offense will fall under this woe for their delusion of sinners and their persecution of saints. For the righteous God will reckon with those who ruined the eternal interests of precious souls and the temporal interests of precious saints. For precious in the sight of the Lord is the blood of souls and the blood of saints. Men will be reckoned with not only for their doings, but for the fruit of their doings, the mischief done by them. Christ here speaks of offenses given in particular by us first to ourselves, which is expressed by our hand or foot offending us. In such a case, it must be cut off. This Christ had said before, where it especially refers to seventh commandment sins. Here it is taken more generally. Note those hard sayings of Christ which are displeasing to flesh and blood, need to be repeated to us again and again. And all little enough. Now observe what it is that is here enjoined. We must part with an eye, a hand, or a foot. That is, whatever it is that is dear to us when it proves unavoidably an occasion of sin to us. Note, Many prevailing temptations to sin arise from within ourselves. Our own eyes and hands offend us. If there was never a devil to tempt us, we should be drawn away of our own lust. Nay, those things that in themselves are good and may be used as instruments of good, even those through the corruptions of our hearts prove snares to us, incline us to sin and hinder us in duty. And then, in such a case, we must, as far as lawfully we may, part with that which we cannot keep without being entangled in sin by it. First, it is certain, the inward lust must be mortified, though it be dear to us as an eye or a hand. The flesh with the affections and lusts must be mortified. The body of sin must be destroyed. Corrupt inclinations and appetites must be checked and crossed. The beloved lust that has been rolled under the tongue as a sweet morsel must be abandoned with abhorrence. Secondly, the outward occasions of sin must be avoided. Though we thereby put as great a violence upon ourselves as it would be to, to cut off a hand or pluck out an eye, when Abraham quit his native country for fear of being ensnared in the idolatry of it, 
when Moses quit Pharaoh's court for fear of being entangled in the sinful pleasures of it, there was a right hand cut off. We must think nothing too dear to part with for the keeping of a good conscience. Number two, upon what inducement this is required. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to be cast into hell. The argument is taken from the future state, from heaven and hell. Thence are fetched the most cogent dissuasives from sin. The argument is the same with that of the apostle. He said, if we live after the flesh, we shall die. Having two eyes, no breeches made upon the body of sin, inbred corruption like Adonijah, never displeased, we shall be cast into hellfire. If we, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. That is meant by our entering into life maimed. That is, the body of sin maimed. And it is but maimed at best while we are in this world. If the right hand of the old man be cut off and its right eye be plucked out, its chief policies blasted and powers broken, it is well. But there is still an eye and a hand remaining with which it will struggle. They that are Christ's have nailed the flesh to the cross, but it is not yet dead. Its life is prolonged, but its dominion taken away, and the deadly wound given it that shall not be healed. And then concerning offenses given by us to others, especially Christ's little ones, which we are here charged to take heed of. Observe first the caution itself. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. This is spoken to the disciples. As Christ will be displeased with enemies of his church, if they wrong any of the members of it, even the least, so he will be displeased with the great ones of the church, if they despise the little ones of it. You that are striving, who shall be greatest, take heed, lest in this contest you despise the little ones. We may understand figuratively. True but weak believers are these little ones, who in their outward condition or the frame of their spirits are like little children, the lambs of Christ's flock. We must not despise them, not think meanly of them as lambs despised. We must not make a jest of their infirmities, not look upon them with contempt, not conduct ourselves scornfully or disdainfully toward them, as if we cared not what became of them. We must not say, though they be offended, grieved, and stumbled, what is that to us? Nor should we make a slight matter of doing that which will entangle and perplex them. This despising of the little ones is what we are largely cautioned against. We must not impose upon the consciences of others, nor bring them into subjection to our humors, as they do who say to men's souls, bow down that we may go over, Isaiah 51. There is a respect owing to the conscience of every man who appears conscientious. We must take heed that we do not despise them. We must be afraid of the sin and be very cautious what we say and do, lest we should through inadvertency, give offense to Christ's little ones, lest we put contempt upon them without being aware of it. There were those that hated them, cast them out, and yet said, 
Let the Lord be glorified. Oh, we must be afraid of the punishment. Take heed of despising them, for it is at your peril if you do. And then the reasons to enforce the caution, we must not look upon these little ones as contemptible, because really they are considerable. Let not earth despise those whom heaven respects. Let those be looked upon by us with respect as his favorites. That's from Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible. It's in the public domain and used here by permission. Thank you so much for being with us today. I trust that you will look around the site, see if there might be some other things that will be a blessing to you. I think there will be. God bless you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. We're releasing this audio on the 9th of December, 2022. Lord willing, we hope to talk again soon. Bye-bye.